HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Shoebox. Save time on data entry and get back to the business you love. For more information, visit shoebox.com. That's C-H-O-U-X-B-O-X.com. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Are you tired of having meetings in coffee shops and hotel lobbies? Are you a restaurant owner who's tired of looking at an empty dining room and thinking of all the money that's walking out the door? Those two things seem incongruous, but on this episode of Tech Bites, they're coming together. Hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. We are live from the backyard of Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is 11 a.m., and I know this because the sound system in Roberta's just turned on and turned up high. They are open for business, and so are we. This is Tech Bites, the weekly radio show where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. Joining me in the studio today, we have an interesting lineup. It's going to be a pitch show, which we love. We have Preston Pesek, who is the CEO and co-founder of an interesting new startup called Spacious. Preston, thank you for coming out. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. And he will be pitching his very interesting company to Eamon Rocky, who is the GM of Bentony, which is a really well, well-recognized restaurant in Midtown in New York City. Thank you for coming. Early Excited for you. Here. Early for restaurant people. A little bit? No. no? Okay. We're open for lunch. Oh. <laughs> and as always, in mission control in the back, making it all happen, we have our engineer and Heritage Radio Network studio manager, David Tatashore. Here I am. There you are. You got it. Yeah. So we start every episode of Tech Bites like a good meal with an appetizer, and we go around the room and we all talk about apps that we love, old favorites maybe that have been on your home screen forever. Maybe something new that you discovered. Uh, Preston, you're sort of in the startup tech app space. Is there anything that you like? The only rule is that you can't talk about an app that you're involved in investing in, developing, coding, selling. Um, I have been falling in love repeatedly with Slack. 
for, oh. for our team. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I mean, based on the nature of our product and the nature of our team, we actually use our product in a distributed way. And so for us to stay connected with one another on a day-to-day basis, Slack is essential for what we do. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Slack is the darling of the startup world for sure. They just keep adding more things that are just like category killers from a lot of apps that used to exist. And it now all kind of happens in Slack. It's fantastic. Okay. Um, what was the most recent, uh, what was the most recent add on that they put into the program that you love? I'm not sure if it was an add on, but there was a seamless transition from having a conversation in a, in one of their channels and then just clicking the button and having a, a phone call or a video conference with those same people who you're talking to on, on text. So, you know, the seamless transition from saying, okay, we actually should probably just verbalize this. Um, it makes it a lot faster in terms of certain kinds of communication. And then is the phone call and video within Slack or does it then connect you to an external? It's within Slack. So it's it's all integrated. So as soon as you kind of just hit the call button, it just, it just does it. Interesting. So rather than having to, you know, bounce over to Google Hangouts or, or, um, you know, Skype, you can just hit the button in Slack and you're there. And how does the video conferencing work? Because sometimes Google Hangouts can be challenging. And Mm -hmm. I would say half the time I try to use them with multiple participants it doesn't work yeah i mean i think the thing for 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 slack for me is that i don't have to think about how it works it just does <laughs> uh, so I, I don't have a great answer for you um other than to say that i haven't had any hiccups you know communicating in the way that i need to when i need to well that's a good endorsement yeah. okay slack you know it's been it gets mentioned probably uh, once a quarter so it'll be interesting i should go back and check it out for the video conferencing it's really that cool. sounds appealing amen is there a app that you like right now or that you use all the time well, one of the things that I think is really important in the restaurant is uh, that everybody's communicating with the same language. Um, and anytime I move somebody from maybe a captain's or sommelier's position into a manager's or supervisory position, there are sort of a, a small checklist of things that I make sure they're empowered with from a technology perspective. Um, we have lots and lots of little bits of information that we're constantly going over on a daily basis. And um, then things come up that are just sporadic and specific to an individual instance. Um, so just having things like a scan app uh, that's really, really well organized and having a system for uh, labeling and communicating the things that are scanned to the team is really important. So, um, And I feel like most people don't have a scan app on their phone um, by default. Uh, so whenever I move somebody into a position where they're going to be communicating with the whole team, that's one of the very first things I communicate to them that they need to have. Um, and it changes the way they're able to empower other people with information. What's the scan app that you use? I like TurboScan, but I know there are a few out there. Okay, fair enough. And just out of curiosity, because kind of opened the door to using tech to help manage your front of the house service. Can I ask what um, POS platform you use? Because we have so many of them come on the show. And I also have so many of them pitch uh, me to come and be guests on the show. Um, There are a lot more options out there now. So I would just be curious if you wanted to share what you're using. Sure. Um, And I'll share a couple words on that as well. Uh, So we use Micros, uh, the 3700 platform right now. Um, Anytime I think about moving to another platform or I think about opening a new restaurant and, you know, this is my fourth opening in New York uh, and I've used multiple platforms for POS in the past, um, I always investigate other people's you know, opinions on this. And I'll call up my friends that have recently opened spaces and maybe are using something new and different. And I'll ask them what they, what they're preferring, preferring at that moment. And, um, I've never had anybody answer. I'm using this platform and it's my favorite thus far. It's always, I'm using this, 
but I hear that this or that is actually better. Um, and so then I'll find people that are using this or that platform and they say, yeah, yeah, we're using this, but we actually think that this is better. You know, there's no such thing in the industry, um, just to be honest with you, uh, as a person who's using a POS platform that they're wholly satisfied by. Um, and that's kind of a, a sad reality uh, that I've come to except over the last 10 years. So while I think there are some that are decidedly better than others, uh, I do feel like proficiency and training are the the key um, factors in evaluating a POS platform. Um, because we're essentially trying to quantify people's desires into line-by-line items that print out on little pieces of white paper, you know, between different people in different rooms of the same business. It's, it's an interesting scenario to sort of create all these multiple data points that result in sort of the most um, warm and engaging real-life experience you can have. So Absolutely. it's kind of an odd, I think, it's an, it's an odd equation a little bit, but... Well, the thing is, you know, when you look at an Excel spreadsheet and you don't know what it can do and you just see lines and boxes, it's it's not as exciting as when you see, like, what's behind it and what the capabilities are. Um, I'm by no means an Excel wizard, but, you know, I know how to do quite a bit on it. So whenever I look at a spreadsheet, I get really excited. Um, Likewise, there's a gentleman on my team named James, um, who's one of my service managers, who's more proficient than any person I've ever worked with uh, regarding micros. Um, And whenever I say, hey, James, can we do this in micros? He's like, yeah, no problem. I'll I'll get it done right now. And within a few minutes, we've we've added another layer to the cake of of what we're able to do. And that translates to um, increased revenue and translates to efficiencies that we did in prior experience. It translates to um, higher level of guest experience and guest satisfaction. Um, it's, it's a really, really, really cool thing. So uh, I don't think that the people who don't like their POS platform actually don't like their POS platform. I think they just don't understand it as well as they could. could be. They might not be getting the most for their money out of it. We, maybe, maybe we'll do a POS show. That might be an interesting topic for 2017. There's a tongue-in-cheek play on words there. <laughs> David, do you have an app that you like this week? Uh, yeah, so I got a new phone recently. Ooh, and um, What kind of phone? I got the Google Pixel. Okay. What made you? What phone did you have before? Uh, it was a Samsung Galaxy S6, not the... Not the explosive, not the explosive 7? one, yeah, exactly. Okay. That's um, good. I'm glad you weren't in danger of exploding. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I was reinstalling apps on the phone, and just it sort of, like, uh, returned to my attention an app I hadn't really thought about, but... I mean, that's kind of its function. It sort of sits tucked away until you need it. It's called Lookout. Um, I, it, it has a couple different functions. Uh, there's like an antivirus and um, some other stuff. But the, the function I really got it for was because once I lost a phone and um, I, I thought like maybe I could track it, but then I realized, there, of course, there's no way of doing this without an app for that. And Lookout does that. You can actually... Um, you register and then you go onto their website and you can like see where your phone is at that moment with a GPS signal and um, if somebody has stolen it or if it's you know just not recoverable you can you can nuke it remotely like just make it so that the SIM card shuts down and like nobody can get into the phone into your data. You could also use it if you were a parent tracking a child, trick-or-treating on their own for the first time, yeah, for example, absolutely. which was a scenario I encountered on Monday. Not my child, uh, a child of a family member, but 
when they went off on their own, I was like, can you track her phone? Because that might be the best thing to be doing right now. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, watch this. <laughs> exactly. So look out. Okay, that's a good one. We haven't had that one before. Yeah. Wonderful. So as we mentioned at the top of the show, um, we have Preston and Eamon here to sort of have a conversation about if one business can help the other. And so I haven't, I've intentionally not really told Eamon too much about Spacious. So I will let um, Preston sort of set the stage and, and explain what it is. Um, it's a fairly new company, though, that just sprung into action earlier this summer, I believe, correct? Correct. We had a kind of our first um, coming out in our first early press in June of this year. Um, we had been beta testing since last December at DBGB Kitchen and Bar, which is our first location, um, really learning what it takes to work with a restaurant very closely. Um, but, you know, the basic um, idea is that we work with restaurants that typically have a large space that's open throughout the day. And a lot of times that's a restaurant that's only open for dinner or it's a restaurant that's open but otherwise has either excess space or, or you know, an asset that sits there that isn't being used for, for dinner service or lunch service. Um, we activate it um, by installing a few different things. We do high-speed Wi-Fi. We set up a self-serve coffee and water station, and we have um, our, two of our hosts who are there in the space at all times. Once it's ready to go, we invite our customers in who are basically um, what we kind of identify as the rise of the independent workforce. These are people who are freelancers, consultants, small startups, um, or anybody who really kind of works remotely. So um, you know, even if you have a traditional, a traditional job or you're, you have a traditional employer, a lot of times you'll need to host offsite meetings and you know, have face-to-face -face contact with clients and colleagues outside of a traditional office setting. And Spacious provides a really good solution for that. So we're basically kind of looking to the excess supply in restaurants that happen to be already furnished, beautifully, well-appointed you know, like well spaces. Um, and we connect them with our customers who use them for a use case that people didn't really match with it before, but it becomes obvious when you start to think about, you know, just the ergonomics of a restaurant, the aesthetics, the nice environment. So that's the basic idea. Um, so we're kind of an intersection between, you know, supply and demand, if you want to think about it in simplistic terms. On the supply side, we use excess space in restaurants. And on the demand side, we're serving an entirely new uh, generation, which is really kind of empowered by technology to be a mobile workforce as opposed to a stationary one. Exciting. So typically your so then your customers are either paying a daily fee or subscribing mm -hmm. by the month to yep. use these spaces. Correct. So who do you perceive your competition as? And Yeah. It's a good question. I mean, um there's a few different solutions um that people have kind of been using to solve this problem. Some people use coffee shops. Yes, um, we've all we've all seen them. We've all been there and I'm I'm sure many most of the people listening to this have had some sort of meeting in a coffee shop. Yes. And if you've ever tried to do that, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of awkwardness around actually trying to have a professional meeting in a coffee shop. You know, if you get there first or if your meeting gets there first, you know, are you going to text them and say, hey, should I order you something? Hey, there's a seat over there that I might be able to grab now, but I'm not going to lose my place in line. There's all kinds of um, awkwardness around having that be a truly professional meeting place. Also, one of the big pitfalls, just on a personal level, I have a lot of meetings outside in mm -hmm. non-traditional spaces because I do work freelance. Mm -hmm. And... For me, one of the biggest things I focus on, you want to be on time. I like to be early. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you have to look for the person. And many times you meet people for the first time face-to-face -face in a crowded coffee shop. And there's a lot of people sitting there having meetings or waiting for a meeting to happen. So yep. 
I do a lot of internet stalking mm-hmm. before I have meetings with people. If I'm having yep. a meeting with you and we're meeting for the first time in a coffee shop, I will be on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and all those kinds of things so I can get an idea of what that person looks like. Absolutely. So that when they come in or if I see yep. them... I mean, even just identifying who you're supposed to sit down with can be challenging. Is that something that your hosts take care of? They absolutely take care of that. So what's interesting, you know, the host is there at the entrance of any spacious location, and they're a spacious employee. So they've been trained to basically be a receptionist and a concierge for the people who are using the space as, as a work solution. So, you know, if you have a meeting that comes in and you've never met them before, um, they'll check in with the host, give the host their name, and then we have tech that actually allows the host to send a text message to you when you're at your seat to say, hey, your guest has arrived, you know, if their name is, you know, Michael or Jennifer or whoever it is, you know, Jennifer has arrived, appears on your text message, and then you can basically look over and see who's standing at the host stand, and then you've got a face recognition shortcut, as opposed to, like, trying to stalk somebody on LinkedIn when you're at a coffee shop, <laughs> or say, hey, I'm wearing a blue shirt today, or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, I usually stalk before I go, just in case the Wi-Fi situation is isn't working very well. So you can have some sense of like who you're meeting. Which is often the case in coffee shops too. I mean, Wi-Fi is a little bit of a, um, you know, of of a, a little bit of a crapshoot, you know, it's like, are, is there going to be Wi-Fi that's good enough for what I need to do either in this meeting or for myself while I'm working there throughout the day? So Spacious comes in and installs super fast Wi-Fi in all of our locations. So competition with like the coffee shop and the other, uh, you know, other food service type places where you can go and, and sit for hours and hours and be relatively undisturbed. Your other comp set has got to be the um, co-working mm-hmm. spaces. Yep. And co-working is really kind of um, has evolved from a commercial real estate environment and is a function of the cost of leasing and furnishing and building out commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in New York City, um, you know, to kind of the, the, the barrier to entry to actually get a desk or even kind of a floating hot desk at a, at a co-working space is at least four to five hundred bucks a month. And that's really kind of the floor of where a co-working space can offer you um, a membership just based on the cost of leasing space in, in let's, let's call it, you know, B-class office in, in New York City. So, you know, spacious membership is $95 a month for unlimited access to our network. So we can, we can offer something that's an extraordinary value um, simply because we don't have to enter into a lease, build out the space, furnish it. Um, we're, we're doing a lot of things that are very capital efficient in terms of delivering the supply to the marketplace. So we work, I took a quick look um, earlier this morning before the show. You can get a hot desk. The, the least expensive one looking at New York City is in Brooklyn for $300 a month. And then the most expensive was 550 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the Bryant Park outlet and hot desk for people who are not real familiar with co-working spaces co-working spaces where you have a big shared office the most expensive are you have a private office within with a door that closes the next is that you have a private desk so a desk that's assigned to you that's yours and then hot desk means that they have a, a number of unassigned desks and those are sort of first come first serve so you're guaranteed to have a seat somewhere within the office and use the office facilities but it's not sort of nailed down and yours. Right. I would say the the other thing that you're maybe getting um, from an office share space, and then there's actually one, I'll, I'll just mention really quickly, a new one that opened very recently called The Wing, which is a women's hmm. co-workspace mm-hmm. slash club. And that starts at 185 a month, and then they have an annual, and then they have sort of perks and other amenities, uh, women-focused, like blowouts and space to store workout clothes, and they have events and things like that. So it's a, I would say it's a much more robust than a traditional co-working space because it's a specific demographic. But 
kind of well, interesting, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, just to comment on that, I think co-working generally is, is going to evolve into um, various lifestyle brands, um, almost from a hospitality business perspective. In the That's same, interesting. In the same way that, you know, the W is different from the Ritz-Carlton right. for the hotel guest, I think co-working is going to start to identify ways that it can appeal to specific subsets I of the culture. I think that's already happening. I mean, you totally. do have spaces, um, there are co-working spaces that are exclusively for nonprofits or social enterprise companies. Mm-hmm. So you have people who are kind of rallying around, you know, sort of a common interest. The wing, you know, for women, um, there's a group called Journée out of New York, which is a club group for restaurant industry professionals. They had a space. So I think that's already happening. Yes. Okay. So I would say that one of the upsides to something like WeWork, though, is that you have access 24-7. And in this scenario with the restaurants, you're obviously limited to time when restaurants are not serving guests. That's right. So you have a shorter window of accessibility, right? It's true. Um, If you look at our direct competition, let's say either a WeWork Commons membership or even some of the solutions provided by some of the older um, companies like Regis who have been doing um, temporary office solutions for a long time, they have kind of a shared workspace solution that does have a window of time that cuts off at a certain point. So if you look at our our kind of the the existing products within the WeWork ecosystem that competes with Spacious, they also do kind of close at around 5.30 in the same way that we do. The difference is, is our space actually, um, someone comes by and drops a menu and you can order dinner as opposed to having to clear out. Oh, else. <laughs> that's interesting. So your office real estate turns into real estate of another kind later in the day. Yeah. I yeah. mean, th- there's kind of a natural match there. I mean, when you've, when you finish the workday and you want to grab a beer, yeah, bite there to you eat, go. maybe some cocktails or, or, or some appetizers. Happy hour. It's a natural transition. Okay. Well, we are going to make a natural transition right now into listening to who our sponsor is. Heritage Radio is a 501c3 nonprofit. That means we rely on our members and sponsors to help us keep the lights on and the radio on the airwaves. And this one is called Relax, It's Just the End of the World by Tax Star. We'll be right back. handling paperwork after a long day in the kitchen? Of course you don't. That's what Shoebox is for. Created by two restaurant veterans, Shoebox is changing the way chefs and bookkeepers manage invoices. Here's Tony Iazzi and Xavier Mariez Carena on how it works. Take a stack of invoices um, and you can run them through a scanner that you already have on your printer or take a picture through your phone. You send it into your Shoebox account and the next day uh, by 9 a.m., not only do you have uh, access to that original invoice through the platform. As but an it, image. Or as an image, exactly. But it also populates the different areas of your operation that are important to your financial structure. So that means it'll dump into QuickBooks. It'll dump into your accounting platform. Shoebox works with any accounting software. By digitizing receipts and invoices, Shoebox helps you understand your purchases and allows you to make quick decisions. 
chefs will be in like kind of a budgetary situation with like, oh, you spent too much money in February. Why? Like, well, okay, it's July. Um, what do you want me to do about it now? So it's an incredibly reactive system, and we're just bringing them up to date so that they can make better purchasing decisions the next day instead of the next month. Save time on data entry and get back to the business you love. For more information, visit shoebox.com. That's C-H-O-U-X-B-O-X dot com. Well, if you've just joined us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly radio show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today we have spacious CEO and co-founder Preston Pesek, who is going to pitch his services to Eamon Rocky, who's the GM of Bentony, which is a very well-recognized restaurant in Midtown Manhattan, to see if a restaurant like Bentony would be interested in hosting some of Spacious's uh, digitally empowered freelance workforce. Well, actually, maybe they're not freelance workforce. I would say mobile yes. workforce, transient workforce. Yep. Okay. So I will, I'll, I'll hand it over to Preston. Take it away. Great. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> nice to meet you. Likewise. Um, yeah, so um, you know, the basic pitch is that if you have space that's predictably vacant for most of the day or all of the day, um, we could potentially activate it and turn it into a a, a revenue generating asset. Um, and it's not just so uh, it's not just a a profit sharing uh, enterprise or a revenue generating enterprise. There's also some other benefits associated with being a spacious partner. In addition to the monthly check, um, you also get excess exposure to the marketplace. So, you know, Spacious is developing its own digital marketing ecosystem and social channels. And we have our own paid spend campaigns that will basically, um, you know, showcase your restaurant alongside all of our campaigns. Um, so you'll get greater visibility in the marketplace. And then as we start to, you know, stabilize the location and you get a regular predictable crowd in the space that was otherwise unoccupied, it's an audience for you to sell food and beverage to during the day. And you can do that in any way that you'd like to kind of design a custom menu for our members. Um, we, we typically kind of allow um, our members to do any number of things when they're in the space, one of which we would let them um, hopefully order food and beverages from the restaurant. So that's kind of the basic um, the basic benefits for any restaurant partner that we would enter into a partnership with. That sounds awesome. Um, so I have a couple of questions. Um, are they ordering food and beverage from the restaurant during the times of their scheduled meetings, or is it after the meetings are over and the restaurant opens and it becomes a viable space uh, in its intended um, form? Uh, is that when food and beverage is available, or is it hopefully during the entirety of the experience? It's eventually going to be during the entirety of the experience, and the kinds of food options for the kind of daytime worker would probably be different mm -hmm. than, let's say, the nighttime customer. Sure. So we would we would very likely work with a, a you know with the restaurant to develop a small plates light bites menu during the day. If you think about you know what you actually need to do um, to solve the calorie problem during the day, um, it's less about you know the full service full setup. And more about maybe something that you can do with one hand while still typing with the other hand. So, um, you know, depending on what kind of a restaurant or what kind of experience you'd like to deliver in your nighttime experience, um, you may or may not make modifications to that for the daytime service. We typically like to work with a, a chef or the kitchen to say, like, you know, what's an easy thing to produce that doesn't require a whole lot of prep time? You know, if there is a prep kitchen going on for the dinner service, which is typical for most, for most restaurants, even the ones that are closed for lunch, the prep kitchen starts early in the morning. 
Um, so, you know, to activate some of those extra chefs or to kind of have some pre-prepared items that are easy to um, pick up and sell through through our app when, the, when our customers are in the space, um, that's an extra channel for food and beverage sales. Amen. Is one scenario more desirable to you? It depends. Um, you know, Bettany is a restaurant that's open for lunch, and it's also open for dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a private dining room, which, if it were available, um, uh, it would be an option, I suppose, for for this. But um, you know, there are a variety of questions that I have, and, and they right sort, of, sort of yeah. bounce around Go that. Ahead. So um, uh, you mentioned profit sharing, and I'm curious what that arrangement is like, how it works. Sure. So Spacious sells a monthly membership that gives the customer an all-access pass. So, you know, one member may be paying into the network and using multiple locations. So the way that we actually, um, we, we can divide that. So that's the part of the product that's like a shared workspace. So you would walk into the space, take any open seat and use the space, come and go as you please, almost like a, a salon or a lounge where you can just kind of come and go. So for that revenue stream, you basically, um, there's a formula that says, how many seats did you contribute to the network during this month? And then how much traffic did you actually receive during the same month? And based on those two factors, you get your fair share of the gross network revenue across the network. That goes to your top line. We subtract the on-site expenses, which is mostly spacious payroll. And then we split the profits with the restaurant according to a percentage agreement. Understood. You know, my concern on this from um, Bettany's perspective, because we are a pretty, um, uh, I don't know, elaborate restaurant to operate, you know, between the glassware and the tablecloths and the maintenance of the space and the flowers and and all the things that are important uh, for us in any uh, instance that we're bringing people into the space, Mm -hmm. um, because it's not, it's not ever and I've heard it more than once, you know, don't worry about how the space looks. We don't mind. We just want to have a meeting or we just want to talk about this. And it's like, no, 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 it does matter. (laughs) It's, it's a reflection of, of what we represent as a restaurant, our philosophies. And so we never bring anybody into the space unless it's ready to be shown um, and prepared. So, um, a lot of the things that go into preparing the space, uh, have innate costs. And then there are people that are required to staff the space to have it operate. You know, when you talk about, the food preparations that that may go into um, even just a, a sort of light bites menu for for a daytime um, office use space um, of the restaurant. You know, I think about not just the cook or cooks that are preparing the food, but I think about you know the people that are behind the scenes making sure that the plates are cleaned mm-hmm. and that you know there's somebody there to pick the plates up from the tables and you know whatever whatever goes into the experience at any of a variety of different restaurants. And you know, if it were to be a Bettany, there would be considerable investment of labor um, in addition to the food cost and beverage cost if we're doing teas and coffees and things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's all it's all about balance, right? And sure. it's all about where where it starts becoming profitable. Yep. Um, and that's, that's an undetermined number for me, and I'm sure it is for a lot of your first-time users and restaurant partners. Yep. Um, so it's not really an answer. It's just an observation yep. of, of the obvious, that there's yep. an eight cost associated with this. Of course. Um, so, you know, to speak to some of those specific costs, um, or, or, you know, taking a step back and just as a general comment, the restaurant isn't obligated to serve anything to our customers. Um, if there is no option for food service during the day, we would like to have, provided that it's a separate space from the rest of the restaurant, give our, give our customers the option to bring in food during the day. And the hosts who are there, at, you know, employed by Spacious and kind of there to receive everybody, they're keeping an eye on the space. They're bussing tables. They're making sure that the tables are generally cleared in between settings. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, um, our spaces generally have, 
you know, coffee and tea service. And the way that we actually manage that is Spacious has its own coffee servers. Um, we use our own consumable beans and, like, tea, mm-hmm. but we use the restaurant's brewers, and we use the restaurant's glassware. And so we basically consume some of the glassware available in the space, and we send that through the dishwashing station at the end of the day. Sure. Right. So there is some associated cost with with that, but it's not significant or over and above what's really going on if the restaurant is starting for dinner service. I mean, sure. the number of glasses that we consume is far less than, let's say, all the plates with food on them. Right. Um, so, you know, to the extent that a food food sale would be something that a restaurant would be interested in at Spacious, it would be, you know, an equation of is there a big enough crowd and is there big enough demand for this specific menu as opposed to other things that people, you know, would bring in, you know, to solve their own problem on, on the food side. Are the um, hosts always the, always the same? There's always, um, there's consistency. Most of them are part-time, but there's consistency in the staff where there's basically one person who's a spacious employee who knows that space best and is designated as the manager of that particular space. So, you know, they're the one who will train anybody who else comes in uh, to that particular space to know the kind of ins and outs of that space. So what we did early on, we hired a a head of hospitality in-house who's an ex-GM from the Hillstone Restaurant Group. Hmm. She's amazing. Um, She trains and manages all of the on-site hosts. And she has a really good set of best practices for each restaurant. And each restaurant is slightly different than than the other one. So, you know, what our goal really is for a restaurant partner is to preserve as best as we can whatever the current state of normal is when we arrive. So in one instance, you know, we will, uh, you know, uh, the restaurant typically sets tables at the end of the night. And so when when we come in the morning before we had the partnership, all the tables were set. Mm. We asked them to leave the tables unset. And then we had our host actually set all the tables according to their standards before dinner service begins. So that basically it's kind of a turnkey solution for Mm -hmm. a restaurant that they don't have to solve extra problems because we're there. We will solve the problems that we create in in a certain sense um, and take care of those things. So, you know, the best practices at every restaurant are a little bit different. And speaking, you know, to your earlier comment about what's the setup, um, you know, La Serena has linen tablecloths and they have really nice glassware and really beautiful silverware. Um, the tables underneath that linen are also quite beautiful and they're okay with us leaving the tables bare mm-hmm. and having the typical setup for spacious use just be bare tables with no linens, nothing else. So mm-hmm. that's actually something that, you know, at the end of the day, whenever we transition away from spacious, um, you know, we'll, the, their staff will come in and, and set the linen tables um, at the end of our workday. Um, so, you know, it's in terms of, you know, the associated cost with a specific table setting, um, we've we've managed it in such a way that it actually represents no additional cost of what's already happening when we, when we arrive. Do your users have the ability to invite an in, uh, unlimited number of people to join them? It's, um, it is unlimited, but there's a cost associated with it. So it's a friendly guest policy. What we've done is say, you know, you can schedule, you can have one guest per hour every hour for free. Beyond that, it's $6 per guest per hour. And the host manages that. And the host manages that. So everybody who walks into the space is uh, greeted and authenticated by the host. So everybody who walks in is either a paying member or a guest of a paying member. So we don't, you know, it's not just kind of a anybody can free for all. Um, and that's one of the key, um, one of the key criteria of any space partner that we have is that we we would need to make sure that we can manage access and egress in and out of the space. Um, you know, we've actually looked at some uh, space partners that have like a hotel lobby where you've got, mm-hmm. you know, an elevator over here and two separate entrances and everybody's kind of passing in and out. You, you, you basically, that's, that's probably not an ideal spacious location. Restaurants are kind of accidentally perfect because there's already a cultural pattern of walking in, seeing the host stand, talking to the person who's there. And that's a natural authentication point for anybody who walks in, in, in the same way as like a private club would be. Yes. 
How far in advance can people book their experience at a spacious location? So spacious, um, currently for the shared space product, um, and, I, and I mentioned that as a separate thing because there is another um, private dining conference room product um, whenever those are available. But for the shared space product, there is like there is no reservation required. So you can walk in and check in as a member. And, you know, what our technology does is it actually keeps track of all the occupancy across all the locations, and it gives the user visibility into that occupancy. So that occupancy number is fundamental to our profit sharing calculation, but it's also fundamental to the user experience so that you can know that there's going to be available seat predictably before you arrive. And so what we wanted to create was a truly on-demand product for the customer where, you know, if there's a spacious location in your neighborhood, you can, you can just drop in reliably. You know you have a seat. You know you can have solid Wi-Fi and a cup of coffee, and you can host a meeting if you need to do that. What happens whenever somebody who is a regular patron, uh, let's say in the evenings of the restaurant, says, you know, I want to have a luncheon here, mm-hmm. and I'd like to buy out the whole restaurant, um, and your guests, your users are used to, coming to this space every Thursday at the same time, yep. and they show up one day and there's a private party going on? Great question. So um, part, of the, uh, part of the calculation for our profit share actually includes this, this um, capacity factor. So you know, if you take your space offline, you have the flexibility to do that. What we like to, say, what we like to ask of our restaurant partners is, is to have at least uh, seven days' notice or a week's notice prior to any private buyouts that would otherwise disrupt our, our customers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Spacious as a product for, for the consumer, for our customers, for the demand side, um, is really only works as a network. So there needs to be some minimum amount of redundancy such that if a space closes on either short notice or unexpectedly, there's some other space in the network in, in a reasonable distance from the space that they're used to going to that can accommodate them on that same day. Understood. Um, Let's talk about transition between um, the spacious use of the space Mm -hmm. and then the restaurant use of the space, let's say, in the evening. I I know you mentioned, and I think it's it's easy to say, well, you know, they're in the space, so hopefully they just start drinking and eating and it's going to be a good thing for you. Um, But there's there's the other side of that, which is you have seven or eight or nine people in varying states of attire Mm -hmm. and formality, and depending on the space that you're in, it could make a big difference to the way the restaurant appears. They could have a cup of coffee, they could have Starbucks, you know, they could have a bunch of pastries sort of on the table, etc. And then the restaurant is in this position where where they're either excited and hopeful that these people that uh, are not there for them are going to all of a sudden become there for them, or if they're going to just be wrapped in their own meeting and uh, begrudging to, to finish it uh, for the restaurant's timeline. Yep. Um, so it really depends on the preference of the restaurant partner, what happens to the crowd, who's in the space, if there is a crowd after, after a certain time. So what we do through the technology that sends, that same technology that sends you a text message when your guest arrives, we can send any number of messages to the guests at, at whatever time of day is most appropriate. What we typically do is about an hour before dinner service starts, we send a message that says, hey, last call for free spacious coffee. You know, please get whatever you need and, and um, you know, here are the happy hour specials that are going to be co- coming at 5 p.m. or 5.30 or whenever the restaurant actually opens. And so there's some communication involved there. And there's also an opportunity to potentially even ask the, ask the members to move to a specific part of the restaurant. What's interesting about that is, um, you know, we had this... It was one of the first questions that I had was, you know, how awkward is this transition, right? Which is why we beta tested for a number of months before we really kind of went live. Um, what we found was, you know, for a lot of restaurants, depending on how they kind of um, seat over the course of the early part of the evening, they may be completely vacant at 5 p.m., right? Sure. So 
some some of our partners actually ask our members to sit up by the windows so they're visible, so that there's some energy and activity happening in the space to kind of kickstart the crowd in the evening. Um, so that's one way that we can handle that transition time, depending on the preference of the restaurant. Other restaurants say, you know what, we actually want to seat this part of the restaurant first. And so would you please ask your members to move to this other section of the restaurant that's maybe less visible, um, depending on the setup, depending on the vibe, depending on the attire that's typical for their guests. So, you know, our, our, our ability to manage our people in the space is, is pretty effective. And, you know, the customer, um, they're getting a, a remarkable product for a remarkable value. And they understand that we're doing something that's a little bit life hacky, right? So, um, you know, for us to ask them to say, here, can you just please accommodate the transition to dinner service um, by doing these small things, they're usually totally fine with it. Um, and and to the extent that they're on a phone call or something else, we have two hosts that are there that can maybe tap them on the shoulder and say, excuse me, it's time to transition or something like that. And we've trained them to be very polite and hospitable in, in the culture of hospitality. Understood. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Last question. My last question? Last question, because we're actually out of time in like six minutes, which is amazing. I told everyone it would go by very quickly. <laughs> Understood. Um, how do you, you, men- you mentioned managing your, your users. How do you manage uh, the groups that are sort of sharing space together mm-hmm. um, and ensuring that they're not encroaching on each other? And as their parties, uh, party sizes sort of grow and shrink, um, bringing more tables, bringing more chairs, moving things around, restructuring, et cetera. I would say that it's the same thing that happens during dinner service and that you can have a business meeting at dinner in a very private way in the context of a crowded room in the same way that you could at a spacious location during the day. So, you know, there's there's a little bit of, like, safety in numbers in that regard. So, like, provided that there's enough people in the space, mm-hmm. you know, you're not necessarily going to pay attention to any one group in the space. Understood. Um, so it's, it's kind of the restaurant is already designed to be a shared social connection place where you can have a private date. You can mm-hmm. have a private meeting. You can have all these things. And that kind of naturally translates during a workday when you're in a shared space that a private conversation can happen at a table here. And there's something over there, and it's completely separate. Gotcha. I would imagine that people are also very well conditioned to behave appropriately when they're in a restaurant because we all learned when we were small to behave appropriately in a restaurant. You'd be surprised. For the most part. I think when you also back out the liquor equation, Mm -hmm. liquor from the equation, that that probably helps. Um, Interesting conversation and questions. I will tell people listening who can't see on the radio that Eamon took notes. And I think this is the first time that I've had one of the pitch people take notes. So I was excited to see that. I just have a bad memory. But note-taking implies um, attention. So that's great that you were you know, taking notes and, and really into it. I would, I would just throw out an observational comment in that, um, given that Spacious is so new and what are the restaurants that you have so far on board? So we have uh, our first location, DBGB Kitchen and Bar. On, which is the Danielle Boulou restaurant and, on Bowery. And Houston. And Houston. Yep. Um, around the corner from it, we also, we also have uh, La Piccia, which mm-hmm. is um, one of the Epicurean Group's locations. Right. Joey Campanale has a show on Heritage Radio Network called In the Drink. Amazing. Yes. Um, the third location that we opened is uh, Avroco's Public on Elizabeth Street. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of my favorite spaces in the whole city. It's just gorgeous. Um, and then the fourth one that we just launched is La Serena, which is on the west side of the Maritime Hotel in Chelsea Meatpacking Area. Which is the latest Mario Batali Joe Bastianich restaurant. It is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's a beautiful, yeah. swanky restaurant. It's awesome. Yeah. And Public is beautiful also, but it's owned by an architecture and design group, so there you have it. 
I, I would guess that because this is such a new idea and a new company and that you're bringing restaurants on one by one, that there's probably a certain amount of expected uh, flexibility and perhaps input and uh, evolution based on actual use case that would give somebody like Eamon, who is probably very specific about how he runs his front of the house, mm-hmm. an opportunity to suggest, test, or maybe evolve things a little bit. We definitely customize the best practices at every location, and we work within the preferences and the constraints of the existing restaurant operation. Mm-hmm. That's kind of part of our core values is to make sure that we preserve your existing state of normal. Right. Yeah. I mean, is, that, is the idea of spacious conceptually something that's appealing to you, or are you is your uh, restaurant dining room sort of too cloistered to have outside influence on a regular basis or I mean La Serrana is a great example I think in that it is a I mean they're not quite you know gone through the vetting and review process as, as Bettany has you know you have a Michelin star and all those kinds of things but it is fancy it is fine dining and that's a good uh, swath mm-hmm. I think of, of types of restaurants whether or not uh, Bettany is an appropriate partner for uh this concept uh, doesn't change the fact that it's a really, really awesome concept. And I would point out further that, you know, I admire all of those restaurants. I know people who own and operate each of those restaurants. And, you know, it's for those who haven't, you know, necessarily familiarized themselves with them, they're legitimate, awesome, established, well-organized, well-structured restaurants. It's not just some place that's dying for lunch business and they're and they're looking to, you know, fill the space. And fingers crossed, it translates to dinner. I mean, those those restaurants are tried and true. So, um, regardless of whether or not it happens at Bettany, and I don't think that we're necessarily the best partner, given that we are open for lunch and we're we're a busy midtown lunch space. It's awesome that you're doing this, and it's great the partners that you have on board. Thanks for saying so. We, we intentionally wanted to identify best-in-class restaurant operators um, to partner with first. Yes. Yeah. I would imagine also that having well-oiled machines like the Dynex group working with you makes working infinitely easier. Um, it's, it's Or helpful, at least. A good starting spot. It can be helpful. Um, it's also, it's interesting, you know, the, the, some of the, um, there's varying degrees of precision and um, processes in each of our partners. Um, I would say, um, you know, depending on how rigid those are, it's easier or, or harder for us to do it there. Um, what we have found is required of spacious is just adaptability and the ability to kind of really respond to what the restaurant partner wants and what they need. They really are our first customer um, before we serve our, our demand side. Because they're actually a part of you. They're your product, sort of, it's a, actually. It's so, a, it's a yeah, true They're partner. more than customers. They're sort of, you're sort of a hybrid It's a true partnership. Together. Yeah. It really is a partnership. Interesting. Well, I want to thank Preston and Eamon for coming out to Bushwick this morning to have this conversation. Um, if you're listening and you're a restaurant and you think that Spacious might be an interesting uh, prospect for you to consider, give us a shout. You can get in touch with us, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, if you want to check out Spacious yourself, they are spacious.com. They are at SpaciousNYC on Twitter and Facebook and at Spacious app on Instagram. If you want to see Eamon in action and check out the beautiful Bentony in Midtown, they are Bettany, B-E-T-O-N-Y hyphen N-Y-C dot com. You can make reservations on the phone or at Open Table. You can follow them at Bettany NYC or 
to get up close and personal with Eamon, he is at Eamon Rocky. That's E-A-M-O-N-R-O-C-K-E-Y. And that's all the time that we have for Tech Bytes this week. I'm Jennifer Leutzi. If you liked us, come back and see us next Thursday at 11 a.m. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.